Andrea Ditto is an environmental scientist living in Gainesville, currently working remotely at a microscope uh, during the coronavirus quarantine. How are you, Andrea? I'm doing good, thanks. That's great. What are you doing here? I am processing a stream condition index sample. Wow. What's a stream condition index sample? It is a sample that's collected from a stream, so a flowing body of water. And we collect amounts of the habitats to look for invertebrates to reflect the quality of the water. Wow, okay. So you're basically searching this specific section of a stream for a specific group of invertebrates, which will give you data on some larger information about the ecology of that river system. Yes. That's cool. And what's the, like, broader... It's part of some broader project of some kind. What's the, like goal, what's the ultimate goal of, like, all this data gets pulled together and then, like, we're figuring out either this is the case or that is the case. Is it, is that, are it's, you part of that information? Um, I'm sure that they look at all the research over time mm -hmm. to see the progress. Okay, so this is part sure. of a really long-term project. Maybe. It depends on the clients. Okay, cool. Well, do you want to tell me what's in the microscope right now, or what's under the microscope, or even what, if my terminology is correct? Well, we have some sticks, and pieces of bark, and then I have found one invertebrate so far. And what kind of invertebrate is it? It's a diptera, and which is a fly larvae. Wow. Can you kind of describe what a fly larvae looks like blown up in your visual range using the microscope? Um, it has a segmented body, so it kind of looks like a worm, but it has a little face. <laughs> cool. And they're easy to see because they usually have stuff on their intestine, so you can see right through it. Wow. So how big is this um, slide that you're looking at here? Probably like inch and a half, two inch by two inch. Cool. Square. And do you know like by what order of magnitude it's magnifying the image so you can see it? Like how much bigger does it look to you when you look um, at this microscope? Well, I think it depends. I think right now it's like one... I don't know, it says like one point... It doesn't really tell me the um Well if you had to eyeball it, like how much bigger do you think it looks? 
If you had to estimate, how many times bigger? I don't know, probably like 10 or something, because they're a lot smaller. But I can see them in pretty good detail. Right, so in real life, the, the bugs are like, what, maybe the length of my pinky nail across at biggest? Am yeah, I, Am biggest. I in the right ballpark? And then, yeah. but when maybe we're like a millimeter in thickness. Some are larger than others, but... Right, but when we're looking at it through the microscope, it looks, I mean, it's really blown up. Yeah. So, yeah, I think that, for me, also looking into the microscope, I think, yeah, like ten times bigger at least. Yeah, I just look for things with faces. Wow. Yep. And you said that that's specifically, like, when you're inputting the data, you're looking for the actual number of heads that you find of these little different kinds of bugs, correct? Yeah, because that's how you identify a lot of them. How cool. So could you describe the actual physical apparatus of the microscope with this other box over here with lights coming out of it and they're what look like tubes and then lights coming out of the tubes and what's... Tell me about how what's the process going on that I'm seeing. It's just a fiber optic light, so I have light source coming from the top and bottom because without these on, it's a little bit, you don't see as much of the color, they're more darker, and they just look like dark shapes rather than variation in color. Right, what I see is there's like a big flat panel underneath that the slide sits on. Yeah. And there's a lot of light being blasted at this panel. See, that's what it looks like. Oh, it even, so, am I correct that there's, that's another light source under there? Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah, I got an under one and then an overhead. So you're blasting light from above at this thing using this double fiber optic system, and then there's another light underneath backlighting the whole thing. Yeah, it's wow. very bright. That's why it looks so sharp when you look in the... Yeah, that's why it, like, it hurts to look at it outside of the microscope, almost. Yeah, that's why it's so shiny. Because I could lower the intensity, but... Wow. What is all this stuff? Um, this is just the container that I use to put the bugs as I find them. It's a little tube of alcohol. And you have multiple different tubes. Why is that? Those are just there by hand. Oh, they're just extra tubes? Yeah. In this piece of, what is this, a piece of wood with holes drilled in it holding the tubes, is there a name for what this piece of tool is? No, someone just made it to hold the different size tubes that we might have so we don't knock it over since it's glass and it would spill and go everywhere. Yeah. All the organisms. And you've got a triple clicker over here. Mm -hmm. Are you using all of these clickers or just one? No, I'm just using one, but you can, later down the process, you separate them out into like um, class or genus, I'm not really sure which one, mm. but they separate them out, so they count them on a separated level. So I do like the total count, and then someone will sort all the ones I pick and break it down even further. Wow. Into like worms and shells and stuff like that. And what's this clicker tool called? It looks like three of the thing that they use to count occupancy at clubs, the little metal handheld cylindrical yeah, clicker, it's the but same three thing. of them stuck together. Yeah, that's it's the same thing. Wow. We have ones that are handheld like that too, but this is just, it's more stationary. This way. Yeah, that's really interesting to me. All of the little physical tools. 
Because I feel like a lot of the interesting artifacts that we have from the past are, like, science tools from ancient times. Yeah. Well, you got some tweezers? I do. This is how I pick <laughs> them out. And I have this little poker if I need to, like, separate out some stuff, like algae or, like, really silty stuff. Or, like, sometimes they'll be stuck on twigs, so I'm trying to, like, take them off of the twig. Wow. Yeah. And what other tools do you have? Like, what's the rest of your setup around you? You've got bottles of stuff and trays and squirty different bottles and a spoon and all kinds of stuff. So I have the tray that I spread the sample out, and then I pick a square, and I put it into this other container that's divided into four. And then that's about, that square is about the size of the Petri dish that I use, which is why it's proportioned out like this. And then I scoop that into the tray using my spoon. And I use this little spatula to just to try and get all the small bits off of the tray and stuff. So I get everything thoroughly. So just in case there's no organisms that I'm leaving behind. And then I use this squirt bottle of alcohol to clean stuff and put it into the sample. I see what looks like some pieces of some kind of larger bug or something. What is that in That's this container? amphipod. What is that? It's just a specific type of invertebrate. I'm not sure what it develops into. But is it also in its larval stage? Yes. All these are larvae forms of other insects, like dragonflies or like mayflies and... Beetles and stuff like that. Do I understand correctly that the larval stage is when it's crawling around in between, like it's not an egg anymore and it doesn't have wings yet? Is that yes. am I oversimplifying that? I mean that's I mean that's pretty much what we're looking for because if they have wings and they don't count in our total. So like I will see things that do have wings and pull them, but they don't count towards the score because they yeah. can technically leave. The water, so they're not counted as a... Yeah, because basically what we're doing is we're trying to figure out if this water is still habitable to the creatures they're supposed to be able to live in it. Yeah, to see right. how many, how much sensitive species it has, because the more sensitive species that we find in diversity, that's an indicator that the stream is doing well. Uh, so we're, we're looking, we're counting the amount of canaries in this particular coal mine. Because is this is a like a ratio. We're like, okay, we took this amount of this part of this stream and found this, these mm -hmm. numbers, so we could like analyze, well, you could like compare it to the whole quality of like the whole system, even though it's just a piece, mm -hmm. but you kind of like can multiply that by a specific factor. And is this normal work for an environmental scientist? Like, is this, in terms of the, the nitty-gritty nuts and bolts, is this a lot of what it comes down to, or what are the main different types of data that maybe you would collect? Um, well, it can be broad depending on the kind of work you do. You can collect the stream samples, you can do water quality and collect surface or groundwater. Um, you can do wetland delineations. Um, all different kinds of things.
you've talked to me before about wetland delineation. Can you give me the the three three sentence crash course on what wetland delineation is? Um, well, essentially, you are determining if the land is a wetland or not. So you pretty much are trying to find the boundary of this specific system. Mm -hmm. So you go around and look at the soil for starters and like the plants and kind of try and work your way around <clears throat> to outline it. So you go every couple feet and dig holes and try and see where it, what is the wetland and then where it's not the wetland because it's pretty distinguishable. So then you just kind of outline it and take GPS points so then you can create the image on like a GIS map. Since it's all in the same coordinates, you can graph it and then you can say that this area was determined to be a wetland. Cool. And am I right that the, the reason this kind of work is done is to delineate, to create a line between like what is wetland, which is home to speci species that need to be protected and also is not fit for building on because it's wet. And right. That's, that's what we're doing is we're figuring out where the line is. Yes. So this is like an extremely Florida thing to do. What are other parts of the world that like need wetland delineation? Um, I'm not really sure. There's other places that have differences in like slopes of land because it really just depends on how often it gets inundated with water. Mm -hmm. So. So this isn't necessarily even places that are low down to the sea. This could also be higher higher elevation places that just get enough rainfall that there's water sitting in the mm -hmm. earth. Yeah. Mm, okay. So this is all over the world, potentially. Mm -hmm. I mean, at just, least you just have to be looking for different plants as your identifiers. That's cool. That must be cool to do that kind of work. This so, on some level high-tech and connected to very high-tech stuff, but at the same time, you're down with your hands in the earth. Digging holes. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> That's cool. Do you have a message that you would share to people who want to be environmental scientists when they grow up? Um, that you should do it, and it's good to benefit the world <laughs> in a positive way. And it's rewarding to be outside and to be getting paid to do it is pretty fun. That's awesome. Which is all stuff that, too, to some extent, you kind of, I can hear, take that for granted because it's what you do. But a lot of people, especially since people are getting funneled into inside jobs, you know, computer-based jobs, coding jobs, it's cool to be able to spread the message that there are still outdoors jobs that are very stimulating personally and uh, important to humanity. Yeah, and it's it's really cool to be exposed to places that you probably wouldn't see on your own regular time. Because some of the places you can only access with specific... Oh, yeah, tell me about that. Tell me about the sites that you go to when you're in the field. So right now we're in the lab. We've created a home lab because it's quarantined, but the opposite of being in the lab is in the field. Tell us about the field. Um, well, depending on where you're going, so sometimes we go to places that 
like for the water manager district that they only have access for. So we have like keys and combinations to enter gates to go in places that like isn't open to the general public. Cool. And um, so sometimes that means we're visiting these like springs when no one is there. So it's like literally just us walking out to like collect samples from a spring and there's nobody there. Wow, so these springs are, are waterways that are connected to the aquifer at some level and are connected to the river system at some other level. Mm -hmm. And so these are the places where people down the river or up the river maybe camping or going recreationally or whatever or maybe are part of private properties but you guys have access as scientists to go in and be in these places and collect data even when there's nobody there. Yeah, because we have permission from the um, water management district and they technically own all those pieces of land, like that's their area to monitor so they have rights to access the land. Wow. So if you were to draw a map of the whole river system, there is this like specific system that exists. It, it sounds like at the government level, the primary reason that it exists is to get data out of some of these Yeah, it's areas. about conservation and monitoring. So they have different projects to like monitor water quality and um, different different kinds of data like flow they monitor like the flow rate of the water and um, try to work on SOPs and permitting and stuff like that various different tasks something else that you told me that was interesting is that the laws about the water are different in Florida than in Georgia for example can mm -hmm. you talk about that? Um, well, it varies by state because that's just how our system is set up. So we have like federal and then we have state level and state by state has different regulations. And Florida is one of the more, um, I would say like enforced. They have a lot of different pieces of land split up and monitored and have a strong public connection like there's a lot of people that are passionate about what's going on and are involved so they have a lot of backing mm -hmm. with that to like preserve our water since we do have aquifers and stuff they take it a little bit more involved I would say than some other states that don't have as much water access yeah what's interesting to me is that these are places that like the spots where they are located and live and work have different kinds of earth underneath them. <coughs> but they're connected by rivers, and so there's this interesting, like, weird ethical situation where maybe there's more pollution up north where it sounds like there are waters that flow down from higher elevations from other places into Georgia and then into Florida. Florida's concerned in a different way about the water because we have aquifers and we're close to the aquifer, we're down at this lower elevation. So it's interesting that some of the work is like getting data about the results of the difference in laws. So it's not even necessarily the, the, that you're measuring the result of business and corporate activity on the water, but also you are kind of getting data about what the different laws are doing to the water. Mm -hmm. 
and you can kind of tell it. You can construct a story as like each bucket of water <laughs> like flows down from the mountain, right. and like it goes through this legal area and then this legal area. Yeah, that's partially why they like to collect the da- data and look at the trends and compare it to events and try to look for links of comparison to like explain the trends that are occurring. When we talk about natural, this is a complete like dummy level question that I just personally have. When we talk about natural history, is this like one of the things that we would talk about is like data about the animals in the water over time? I guess so. Like, if I'm in the Museum of Natural History, is this something that, like, someone would, would talk to me about? Like, oh, the waterway does this now, but during this period it did X, Y, or Z. Yeah, sure. That's cool. So there's kind of this cross-disciplinary thing that happens from a time relationship. It's like this thing that happens every day that we call science, like, becomes history as it rolls bigger and bigger. Right. That's kind of cool. Yeah, that's why, you know, it's like an interdisciplinary science. Yeah. And you do use a lot of historical stuff to predict future trends based on different conditions that you have, that you've experienced in the past. Is that kind of abstract in the science world? Like, if you were to rank all of the different kinds of sciences in terms of the time scale that they're concerned with, because it seems to me that if you're like a computer coder, some kind of computer engineer, you're constantly redoing stuff day to day and there are fast-paced projects as technology moves fast, but then there are these other things where you're close to the land and so you're thinking about these like longer trends. Does that mean that environmental science is kind of over at this more interdisciplinary maybe zone to place it in the sciences on this kind of rainbow of, <laughs> of sciences? Um, yeah, kind of. That's cool. So you probably find different kinds of people. Oh, you've talked about the difference between uh, the kinds of people you find in engineering versus the kinds of people you find in science at your workplace. Can Mm -hmm. you speak to that at all? Um, just that engineers do more stuff just on the computer and scientists tend to do more field stuff like they're more the like design aspects of the equation and we're kind of more the like collector slash implementer part of the equation so that's why we work together so it's kind of so there's a workflow of information that kind of happens where it it's like it isn't like an assembly line because there's a lot of thought that goes in at every level. It's right. like each level analyzes. It's almost like you guys are layers of like filtering almost of this information. Where mm-hmm. It's like you're analyzing and then passing it to the next person for analysis. Yeah, or you know to like read and like share their yeah opinion. Yeah, their so the professional science... opinion. Because mm-hmm. when you have so many people that have different backgrounds, when you put them together, it's like you can really do a lot of stuff. Mm. So the scientists are gathering the data, passing it off to the engineers who analyze it in a different way. What's the next step after that? Well, it kind of more like the engineers are first, doing the design. Oh, I see. You guys implement the design by collecting the data that is required by the design. It's like the design asks the question, is it this? And then you guys are like, okay, well, we go and, for instance, find these bugs to answer that question. Is that... 
decent understanding of what you're saying? Yeah, kind of. And then and they'll do like models and stuff. So then we have like a plan. Oh, okay. They can also help create maps and stuff. Oh, so you're testing the model. I mean, on some level, is that am I is that am I oversimplifying? Am I which way am I taking yeah. that? Okay, okay, <laughs> okay. <laughs> Cool. Well, we've we've been all the way around the space. We've been way way out to the broader implications of all the levels of what we're doing. Do you have any other message that just you, as environmental scientist Andrea Ditto, Gainesville's own, want to share with the world? And the message can just be hello or goodbye or <laughs> thank you. It doesn't have to be profound. Um, I think the take home message is just to do what you can on the individual level to help preserve the land around you in whatever ways that you can. That's beautiful. Thank you so much for being on the show, and we'll let you get back to work. Thanks.